0: giving them the skills to set their own goals with the teacher to understand why they're learning something that becomes very powerful so that they're invested in the learning
1: welcome to learning unboxed a conversation about teaching learning and the future of work this is Annalise corbin chief goddess of the past foundation and your host we hear frequently that the global education system is broken So on today's episode of Learning in Box, we are going to be talking about the Portfolio School, which is in New York, and we are talking with a co-founder and head of community, Doug Schechtel. And Doug, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks. Glad to be here.
1: So Doug, let's start two things. I always like to uh, sort of preface the program. Um, You know, this is about positive disruptions in education. So, you know, there's lots of conversation about all the things that aren't working. And while that may be true, there are also... a lot of innovations that are happening in the world of education, particularly K 12 around the world, and the portfolio school being one of those. So let's start with where did this idea for this portfolio school sort of come from as a co-founder? I always love to talk with with founders in one form or another because, you know, we always often have these kind of crazy ideas. And then for some reason, they sort of come to be. And so I'm always curious about the sort of moving from this, this idea into the actual action. So tell us a little bit about sort of the launch story here.
0: Yeah, so this was back in 2015. Uh, me and my co-founder, Baber Habib, we decided to start a school, which <laughs> sounded completely crazy uh, to me in the beginning. Uh, to you know, to to reimagine, you know, as you were saying in the beginning, mm-hmm. all these amazing things that are happening in terms of disrupting school, but in our the way that we kind of saw schools at the time, and schools really haven't changed. Too much in the last hundred twenty-five years, hundred forty years, um, true. and mm-hmm. there's it's ripe for disruption. And there are a lot of other schools that are that are doing some changes in education. We saw a particular way that we wanted to create a learning environment for students that we didn't quite see mm-hmm. around where we were, you know. And we spoke to a lot of thought leaders in education, um, a lot of other schools who have since become wonderful colleagues for us mostly on the West coast. There's a lot more kind of yeah. schools, uh, there are. Space. but you know, like Saeed and those, I saw, I listened to your last program. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: That was a great one.
1: <laughs> good, good.
0: You know, a Nouveau studio. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's similar models and it's interesting that when you talk to all these different uh, innovative schools, there's, there's, it's like a big Venn diagram. There's a lot mm-hmm. of similarities, but then there's also places where they kind of, they kind of differ. And in putting the school together, it it becomes a a reflection of the community that you're building it with and the team that you have in place Mm -hmm. and what kind of approach you're kind of going for. But pretty early on, we realized that the school was going to focus on um, a maker-centered approach to education Mm -hmm. where kids are going to be working on hands-on projects. The learning is going to be integrated uh, rather than separated out into subjects and that it was going to be uh, starting in kindergarten. So, you know, there are a number of schools that do this at the high school level. Right, like, right. Like High Tech High and San yeah. Diego. Yeah. But that we... And that was an interesting kind of conversation in the beginning is where would we start? Right. Would we start, right. in, would we start in high school? And we really wanted to build it from the ground up. And mm-hmm. it, so it made sense for us to start at kindergarten. And uh, we started as a to K-3 back mm-hmm. in 2016. And now we uh in our next year we're gonna be K to six.
1: Okay, yeah, you wanted to start with the itty bitties.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. they're fun. <laughs> it, that's a great place to start. And you know, it's funny because we've internally at in past had this conversation numerous times as well, right? you know, in the work that we do, where's the most meaningful place to be impactful, especially if you're talking about creating some type of change. And there's something to be said for, you know, starting, you know, at, the, at that ground level and building up. You can also start in the middle and build out in both directions. And you know, there's pros and cons to all of those approaches. And so it's it's intriguing and interesting, Um, you know, sort of the the space that you started. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is so, you know, starting schools, that's not your background. So, you know, that's the other piece I think that's a bit intriguing about actually all of these schools that are part of the collection, if you will, of mm-hmm. innovative schools that are part of your group. So you mentioned um, Nivu, who, who actually aired this week in a fabulous conversation. But, but like many of the folks involved in these creative endeavors, and I think this is fairly common, your background's not in education. You're, you're a marketing and media guy.
0: Yep. Exactly. And it was funny that, you know, it wasn't my background. My, my only background in education is that I went to a, a number of schools growing up and, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it, it, it's interesting that, you know, where there's a lot to say about this, but for me, there was a, a real personal element that really connected to why I wanted to do schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the, there's sort of like the micro reasons of why, what is my personal why right. for goodness. And but that sort of matched what in a macro level, which is sort of what we were talking about in the beginning, when you take on this idea of the system of education, you reshifted. When those things line up, you know, you really feel like, oh, I might be onto something very powerful, actually could have a very important part in our culture. And for me personally, though, I went to, this is a story that kind of resonates with a lot of people that I speak to is that I always loved learning, you know, growing up. Um, and at some point a shift happened in my education where it became more about school and less about learning and more about right. just how do you become really good at school? Right. And, and the skills of being good at school as you go on, especially in middle school and high school mm-hmm. become very different from actually learning and learning Correct. about yourself, Correct. learning about yeah. your identity, learning about what's what's, what makes you tick and, and how you learn best. It's things like, okay, how do you, how do you take a test? How do you teach
1: right. look, look, right.
0: teachers? How do you follow directions? All these things that are totally opposite of what the world wants and, and expects of of people today. And so for that reason, like I, I sort of, once school was over, I kind of went in the other direction and never thought about it. Um, I was somebody who always loved working with kids, doing after school programs, always, you know, donating my time to do those things. But I never thought of it that way, because I had this experience where I became very disenchanted with the idea of school. Yeah. And in fact, I'm, you know, it's funny when I talk about this, people It's like, I'm not a huge fan of school.
1: Yeah.
0: In terms of like, as it's defined, right?
1: I hear that. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. This this program, you know, because we're out there looking for these amazing disruptions, right? So I, I will tell you that is a theme I hear over and over again in this innovation space. It's a lot of people. School didn't fit me. I didn't like school. I didn't really learn what I needed. I got out into the real world and I realized I was completely ill-equipped and so on and so forth. So your story, I think, it's is common. part of a foundational story for all of us collectively. Yeah. And I use that us and a giant you at the beginning. Beginning, right, um, who are involved in this sort of innovation in education spaces?
0: It's true. It's true. And, yeah. and the other thing that happened in the beginning, is we spoke to uh, someone who became our advisor, Tony Wagner, mm-hmm. and we just reached out to him because we were, you know, we were fond of his books and fond of the way he was thinking about mm-hmm. things. And we saw that that movie, it um, most likely to succeed. That was like yeah. right when came uh-huh. out, went to a number of screenings, and you know, something that he said to us is that there's a rich history of entrepreneurs doing this,
1: right right
0: and, and you know it it, it gave us great um, confidence in what we were doing and and kind of reaching out and how we were going to start building this up of course we realized that you know both me and my co-founder he comes from an education technology background but mm-hmm. having not worked in schools and not being an, in the school educator we had to build this team up around us so right. that and that's common to what you know yep. other entrepreneurs and people with you know non-educator backgrounds mm-hmm did to get their schools off the ground.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, those those very common trends, people that are really passionate who come with a pretty unique set of skill sets that they can apply in a sort of a different sort of way. So I want to be able to give a little context for our listeners because they come from all over the world and may not be familiar with um, with with, this, with the school. Sure. Um, and so let's let's sort of set the stage for them. So give us the nuts and bolts. So right now are getting ready to be a K six. But what else is going on at this elementary school that's based on you know kids being makers and and and. And stretch out from there. So help us with a little bit of sort of the, the theory, the action that you're putting into Best place. Both. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: it's an exciting place. Um, <laughs> every day, you know, walking into this place just feels like a joy. Yeah. And that's what we hear for, from our families and mm-hmm. from the kids as well. They don't like summer vacations. Because when they come here, the whole idea is that they are working with their hands. Yeah. They're they're building, they're creating they're getting to work on amazing projects. And, you know, the way that it's sort of structured to give them that that way of of learning is that we, number one is we have mixed age groups um, Mm -hmm. understand about our school. So uh, for this year, we had a kindergarten group. That was its own thing. Then we had a first and second grade group. We had a third and fourth grade group. Next year, we'll have a fifth and sixth grade group. And, you know... They are working on themed projects throughout the year that stretch across the entire school. So everybody in the school, even across all those groups, is working on a theme. The last one that we worked on this year was called The uh, the Tools That Connect Us. And over a period of two or so months, all the work is tied to that theme. Yeah. And it yeah. ends in this exhibition. This sounds familiar from, from yeah. other schools that do yeah. some things like Brightworks does the arts yeah. and Yep. there are exhibitions at the exactly end.
1: Exactly how we do it too. Absolutely, yep.
0: Yeah, you know the the other thing that we sort of realized in in you know how we wanted to structure the school and you know all this talk about innovation and you know especially when you talk about technology, there are all these anal- very analog things when you think about how to innovate in schools, like the schedule. Right, the schedule right. is everything, and so how you can. Create enough time in the day for children to get into a deep flow with the projects. How to give them enough time to do that, but then how do you structure it in a way that you actually give them enough time to to learn the core academic skills?
1: And how do you do that? So because that's so, going to be the thing everybody wants to know. How are you doing yeah, that, there, Doug? <laughs>
0: that's the big question. It's like this sounds great, and it sounds like a great after-school program, right? But then, how do you actually make sure that kids are learning? Mm -hmm. So, we have dedicated time for the core skills around math and literacy, and then Mm with early childhood with phonics. Mm -hmm. But, everything else when it comes to science, humanities, making and design, computational thinking, all those things are brought together in. The service of the project, so right. there might be places where math naturally fits into the project, right. Right. where literacy fits into the project, but there are distinct times where those two are given it, given their time in the schedule. Right. The other thing is that the schedule changes throughout the year, mm-hmm. and we're flexible in, in allowing that to happen. So, uh, one way that that really shifts throughout the year is that we also have time where children are working on independent projects projects that they come up with and they want to, they want Mm -hmm. to build. So we have time where periods of time during the year when they are working for larger periods of the day on those projects. And then that ends in a culmination event where, you know, they're, they're presenting their ideas. And, you know, a big thing for us is that we want to give kids a number of toolboxes by the time they, they end up, you know, leaving our school. Mm -hmm. Sure. There are core academic areas that they do need to understand and, I think that's the big sort of division that sort of happened right. around progressive versus traditional education mm-hmm. is that progressive became, oh, well, it's all about creativity. And, you know, the, the core academic skills that gets a little bit of a, of a looser kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And for us, we wanted to blend the two where right. there is this heavy influence of creativity and curiosity and kids making things. But at the same time, we see you can't do really interesting, meaningful work if you don't understand certain core right. Knowledge areas. Right. So how do you make sure that you do both? So it's really about the schedule and the intention mm-hmm. and making sure that we are assessing and tracking where children are in using very traditional things like Fontes and Pinnell for right. literacy right. and, you know, Engage New York for math, Common Core Standards mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you can, ha- you can just do backwards design when yeah. you think of these projects, and know exactly where students are.
1: Right. And it's also really easy just to sort of clarify for folks and and correct me if this is not the case for your school, but I'm assuming this is a case. It's really, really easy in a problem or project-based environment, um, which Portfolio School um, is, um, to to go out and sort of grab when you take a look at the themes of the projects and say, we're going to easily and I use that word deliberately. We're going to easily hit this huge number of, of core standards, you know, that those expectations of the learning, the more traditional-based learning that we know kids have to walk away, but we're going to integrate it all the way through. And these kids are just going to never even look up and, and, and shift from, from one you know, set of contents to another. When, when done really, really well, it's, it's seamless and it's all inclusive. Um, and I assume that that's the case with what you've got going on um, at the portfolio school.
0: It is, and I think the other thing is that we also know that children are not going to learn exactly the same thing at the same time as everybody else. And that's another sort of carryover and a logistical carryover. For traditional education is that just because children are born between this date and this date, they're going to they're going to be ready for this bit of content on this day. And for us, it's like you're going to understand that, but you might not understand it today. That might come for you next week. It might come for you next year. And that's a big thing. It's like, well, okay, by the end of third grade, you might be caught up in this in this certain area, or you might be, you might need a little bit more time in this area right now, or you might be ahead uh, of your peers grade level wise in a certain area. And I think just allowing for more flexibility is everything. And when you're, when you just say, okay, well that day is over now, I'm going to test you on it. And if that was the day when that just didn't work for that student, now they're like, oh, I, I don't understand this. And it starts to Mm -hmm. imprint on who they think they are. Right. Like, oh, well, I'm just not a math person now.
1: Right. Right. And
0: that just compounds and creates a whole other dynamic for that student. Whereas for us, it's like, okay, you don't understand it. You don't understand it yet.
1: Right. Exactly. the Yeah, I love that. And that's the perfect way to to put that because we we have that conversation often, too. And the reality is in these fully engaged, applied sort of teaching and learning environments, the other piece that we've seen repeatedly is that we can hit the same number of content standards that a traditional school may have required throughout the year, but we can hit them numerous times in the same year as opposed to only hitting them once. And, And to your point, doing a test and then moving on. Because not, not every kid's going to get it the first time. And by the time they've seen it the second or third time in a different application, because you're using it over and over and over again, suddenly that light bulb goes off and it's meaningful for that child. It's very individualized in that space.
0: Yeah, no, it's really a good point. Just like the idea of kind of circling back and inspiring yeah. the content where you could start talking about Newton's laws of physics with a mm-hmm. first bit. You would never do that in another. No, course. no,
1: but why not? Why not yeah, introduce it in the moment that it makes sense because of the project that you're doing, right? You don't have to get it. You just have to at least have been introduced to it.
0: Yep, yep, exactly. So then, okay, so that there's a certain piece that a first grader can understand about Newton's laws of physics. And then when they come back to it, yeah, maybe a few years later or maybe next year, there's a different element. There's mm-hmm. more... There's more math brought mm-hmm. into it that they can understand at that level,
1: right? So, and they bring the context with them from project to project to project, right? And they they sort of are able then to figure it out along the way. That's the other piece. There's a lot of that self-directed learning opportunity when you're doing it that way.
0: Yeah, you brought yeah. and the word you just used, context, mm-hmm. is everything. For it us. is. Yeah, that when we think of even the projects that kids are working on, it has to organically come from questions and things that they would actually experience in their daily lives. Right. So, you know, why why is the sky blue? Why do leaves change color? You know, all these things that... Th- they're questions that they would come up with naturally. And brain science, I mean, our own experience, everyone understands that if something is meaningful to you and you have a reason to learn it, you're going to be invested in that process of learning and you're going to remember what you learned. So making everything kind of contextual and interesting to a student is, is vital.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That point of engagement uh, can't be underscored. And, and, you know, I hear all the time when we go out and work with a variety of different, uh, more traditional schools around making these types of transitions. One of the things that I frequently hear from, you know, school faculties, and it's not necessarily because they, they, they don't want to, it's just the space that they're in in that moment, out of all fairness, right? And so, but one of the things what we will frequently hear is, yes, but our kids can't do that. Which, which is not the case at all. It's really a case of, you know, there's been a, a long journey or path where students have been or have become so disengaged mm-hmm. from the moment of learning that sometimes it can be hard to turn that tide. And so helping those faculty understand that you can, in fact, re-engage by trying to, to to work with students in a sort of a different capacity with a different mindset can be a pretty powerful thing. So let me use that as a segue to ask you then, where where or how do you find your faculty? Because I'm sure it's not just you and your co-founder running around with you the you know these K through sixth graders. So so talk to us a little bit about the the the, the staff. You know what's the magic? The people that make this happen.
0: So we have an amazing team here um, and the teachers you know the way that we find them let's like in a very logistical way is like we put out you know put something on our website yeah. we put it out to our community and you know we post it in some places and what come back are people who really want this mm-hmm. and who have in varying degrees have had some success being able to implement projects in their mm-hmm. own classroom have Oftentimes, come up against a a restriction in their current environment where they just wanted that to be, they wanted to have more freedom in what they're doing, and they're like, "I know that this is the way to do it. Uh, I just want a place that allows me to do that." And with that impulse and with that idea, usually comes a collaborative kind of uh, mindset that we're looking for in teacher, um, because that's that's everything about how we're designing our units and how we, and the units are those two, those two month long project units. Right,
1: right, right.
0: Where it's collaborative, where we have a design and making teacher who works with classroom teachers, who works with an artist, who can, everybody comes together to create what that project is. And without that collaboration, you're not going to find one person who knows how to do all those things. Mm -hmm. In a, in a, in a more traditional environment you might not even have that level of expertise kind of at the table
1: right, right. or
0: in the best case you might have uh, a teacher who then sends their students down the hall to the fab lab right where they work with that design and making teacher but there's not much collaboration and much uh, integration between what they might be doing in the classroom versus the pa- fab lab and our our kind of Mm, Tagline or whatever. It's like, we don't have a makerspace. We are a makerspace. Right. Right. And the big thing, like, I it's not that. a separate place that you go to, and it's, you know, behind lock and key, and you get to go in there 45 minutes a week. Kids are in there pretty much daily. Right. And they're in there, they're getting the tools that they need. That they are safely trained on right right and they have the badges to use that <laughs> to it's not like kids are running amok in this place with, with hacksaws
1: it's, it's but, not just but, controlled chaos at best
0: <laughs> yeah no but you know to uh, uh to, to, to quote another school um uh founder that we've we're fond of gever tully you know trusting children you know is everything mm-hmm. and you know once you give them the the trust and the training, of course, to, to use some of these tools, they can do it. And, you know, so, you know, starting with kindergartners, there's a, there's a gradual trajectory around design and making and, um, you know, giving them, basically giving them the keys to the king where they can, you know, start owning their own decisions about the projects they're working on, um, and their own personal goals. So, you know, you'd be surprised, even in first and second grade, kids are setting their own goals. They understand their schedule. They check in with teachers constantly about, okay, how does, how does what I'm learning connecting to the goals that I've set for myself? Like that's, I haven't seen that in any school that I have personally you know, been involved with or been to, that the other idea of context and meaning and like what you're saying, that it's difficult for teachers to say, my kids can't do that. I think once you start passing the the torch to them, of course, with you know the scaffolding, with, support, with the planning, all these things, with the classroom management, all those things don't go away, but giving them the, the skills to set their own goals with the teacher to understand why they're learning something, that becomes very powerful so that they're, they're invested in the learning.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit then about um, the community piece. Mm -hmm. So the most successful innovative schools, Mm -hmm. um, I would argue, just from my own sampling around the world of talking and visiting so many of these places, are really steeped in the local. They have a solid understanding of the community in which both they sit or are nested in the communities that they serve. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that piece because I, I gather from from the from looking at the website and from the conversation we've had this far that the idea of having a solid understanding of your community is probably a pretty integral part to the success of the program. So share with us just a little bit about the way that you think about that in particular since um you know that ties into your new title as head of
0: community. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so you know we're we're located in Tribeca in mm-hmm. downtown new York and you know, from the beginning when we started this school, we wanted it to be something that grows out from from this place. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to figure out how we can create these kind of schools that become embedded in communities that might function differently based on the community, but that have the same sort of core philosophy and core approach. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a natural way that when you're starting something in any community, And for us, it happened to be Tribeca. Right. That you are very closely linked to where you are, how you're using the community, Mm -hmm. what you know, how you're how you're actually using the city around you as a part of the classroom. Right. That it would look very different if it were just in another town,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: it would have to adapt. So you know, a a school like ours popping up in in a more uh, suburban location. Would have a very different feel to it, not better or worse. It's just different. Different,
1: because, right? Yeah, because it's yeah. a
0: reflection of the community, and and you know, I, I think the core kind of philosophy and the core approach is something that I don't think would would shift no matter where it is. I mm-hmm. think that the, you know, once children come into the into the classroom, into the school, that would feel very natural. Whether you're coming into a, a school in Tribeca or in Boise, Idaho, right. or you know, or some rural location. Um, and I think the other piece that we had in our minds from the beginning is that, you know, not everybody can can live in Tribeca. Not everyone mm-hmm. can come to a school like ours. How do we enable this type of learning to exist outside? And I know that this is something that you guys are working on as well with it professional is. development, curriculum yeah. development. Those are the ways that, you know, when we have educators coming to mm-hmm. us, asking these questions from all over the world, yeah. I want to bring that into my classroom and that's something that we have always had in our in our game plan to do right and we're we're, we're we've been building that out and we're excited to continue doing that
1: because at this point it's a single school it's not schools plural correct
0: right. Right. We just have right. the one portfolio school here.
1: And so then another clarifying question to that same point. So right now you're K through six, but is the aspiration K through twelve? Will it continue to grow with these kids? There's no expectation that when these kids finish sixth grade that they're going to middle school someplace else. They're gonna the intent is for them to stay with you, correct?
0: Exactly. So we have committed to being a K to eight right now. Okay. Our our goal is to be a K to twelve and mm-hmm. we've already, you know, been planning and designing our how our high school would look, but that would be a separate location. Um mm-hmm. uh, so, when we can get that off the ground or in the ground, right, <laughs> uh, is is, uh, is a TBD at the moment. But mm-hmm. that's always been our goal. And there's amazing opportunity in high school mm-hmm. to imagine what mm-hmm. that looks like. Um, there is I,
1: indeed. Yes. We have got lots of experience in that space, right? Because lots yeah. of places start there, as you've indicated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I saw that. And, and the work <laughs> you guys are doing in terms of helping, you know, people redesign what, what mm-hmm. high school looks like um, is amazing. So we, yeah, I would love yeah. to continue talking about that on another podcast.
1: Yeah, no, we can, we can definitely have that conversation yeah. when, whenever you want. Um, so I always like to sort of, as we sort of think about, you know, sort of wrapping the conversation, one of the mm-hmm. things that I hear from folks all the time is, oh, well, that sounds really great. And it was awesome to hear everything that Doug had to say. But what Doug didn't talk about was, you know, it, this is not easy. So there are constraints. So there there are things that you bump up against that you had to basically design your way either around or out of or through yeah. or to incorporate because it's just the reality, and that's okay. So share with us a little bit of some of some of those experiences because you know folks love to hear that they're not alone and thinking, oh I, my gosh, what did I what did I do? What was I thinking? I have that thought all the time. What was I thinking?
0: No, I know it's. Uh, I mean, I can't think of anything more meaningful than than doing what we do, um, and trying to figure out a better way for kids to learn. Um, and that just, I I think when you feel very connected to what you're doing, all those things that are, that are hard and and the struggles that I think come in any, you know, venture and any business just become easier to deal with. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, there, you know, people are. I would just say that you're not alone if you know you're out there and you're you're realizing that this is a this is a hard thing to do. I, I think it's just like every day you're 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 really drawing on the same things that we expect from our kids in school. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about education, that really focuses more on creativity. It's kind of ironic and kind of a shame that schools aren't thought of in a more creative way. Like Mm -hmm. you focus on how to creatively solve education, right? And creativity is just how you're dealing with various roadblocks, various challenges. Um, And so I think if you sort of embody the same flexibility and the Mm -hmm. same, you know, design thinking that we talk about with our students, you always have the right tools to navigate any any challenges that you're going to face, and it's a human. It's a it's a it's a very human process. Mm-hmm. A school education, whatever organization that you run in education, except for you know maybe education technology, right. is a very human organization. And you know my role as head of community, I get to see that it's about families. It's right. about children. It's about staff. Uh, it's about the team. Um, there's so many pieces, and it becomes a very complex organism because it's a it's a number of people. Mm-hmm. And more and more it's really just about how you line everybody up in the same direction. All those people, the, the mm-hmm. students, the families, the staff, the team, all your community partners that are around you. If they buy in, you're you're going in the right direction. And you know any sort of roadblock you can always go back to that that place of this is why we're doing it and this is where we want to go mm-hmm. and it just gives you a way to always face any challenge and you know that you're going to make the right decisions
1: absolutely and and I love the idea of thinking about um education as a very complex organism right so it's a living breathing thing it's not just an engineered system because it's got real people in mm-hmm. the mix of it. And I think sometimes we get we get really used to the roteness, if you will, um, of the, the machine, that's that system sort of uh, of mechanism that's just churning these folks out. You know, everybody's gonna read page 12 on Tuesday and we're gonna take a test on Friday. And we forget about the fact that the single greatest um, value add that we have back into the flip side of whatever the educational journey is, is the individuality of all of those, of, of the folks that were part of that living and breathing organism.
0: Yeah. And the other piece about this is that there's really no choice. Right. Like once you, you know, and I'm pointing, I'm looking at you and you're this, <laughs> is like once, once a person, and maybe this is the listener, realizes that, there's something that fundamentally needs to change about how yeah. we educate mm-hmm. future generations. You realize that we do need to fundamentally change how we yeah. teach future generations. Yeah. There's no choice in that. Once you get that, you're like, yeah. we need to do this. Yeah. And this needs to happen right now. And if I don't show up today and make the right decision, mm-hmm. I know that there's a consequence to that. And that I play a part in how we're reshaping this whole... Culture that we have around us and the work that children are going to be doing. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's a,
0: it's a, it, there's nothing more important than what than what's happening right now.
1: Absolutely, and we and we there's the the world is changing so fast as we all we all know we've just experienced the last you know 15 months of you know crazy stuff that was going on and yet you know a lot of those aspects or elements are not going away. And the reality is we, we can no longer be pre- preparing students for X, Y, and Z job, right? Or career, whatever it is that they're going to do post-secondary because the reality is we don't actually know what those things are going to be because the world is changing so fast. There's endless and infinite possibilities. So with that in mind, I always want to sort of, you know, close the program with sort of asking what's the moonshot, from your perspective, what what's the moonshot? And it can be, it can be, you know, personal to your own philosophy or the school itself, but but really what's that thing, that big aspiration outside of what you've got going on right now that you think is possible uh, with the work that that you're engaged in? I know that's a loaded question. What do you think is going to make the most difference? And it, it may be the most difference just at, at the portfolio school, but it may be in the Tribeca community. It may be in New York. It may be national. It may be global. Where's the moonshot? That thing that we we, we we absolutely must roll up our sleeves and do right now that you feel like the work that you're doing can make a contribution to.
0: Mm. It's funny because I, I I think of where things are coming from the top down, you know, from workplace education from mm-hmm. you know, back to graduate school, if you go to graduate school, um, down to college and then to high school, middle school, elementary, and then here's where we are, right? Mm-hmm. And both of those sides are kind of reevaluating what it means to be educated, mm-hmm. what it means to be prepared. And I think having a, a, a collective system-wide reshift of the definitions of what it means to be educated. Yeah. And what it means to prove that you're educated, you know? So I think what a lot of things that are happening with places like the mastery transcript mm-hmm. um, and changes in college applications and admissions mm-hmm. is having a huge impact on how people are then able to um, make decisions about about early childhood about elementary about middle school and you're always looking to well what's the next thing because the the thing that we haven't touched on in all of this maybe just a little bit is that those who are making decisions about about children are not children right and that's a, that, that's a very tricky thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how you can line up a the motivation for a parent to match up with what's in the best interest of the child are sometimes things that are outside of even our scope. Right, and that's why right. I point to things like the mastery transcript in yeah, yeah. colleges, because if that's the motivation, that's going to then drive things downstream to where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the innovations that are happening, you know, and that's why when we go to high school, we're going to be very excited about, yeah. about, you know, getting kids ready for the future they're going to they're gonna face and getting them to go to wherever they want to go, whether that's Princeton, Harvard, mm-hmm. Yale, whether that's to go and launch their own company. right? But that level of success that people get to see as parents, that that's, that's where I want my child to go will make the whole system kind of flow mm-hmm. more naturally from one place to the next so that you can have innovative programs at the elementary level all the way up. So I think that that seeing that whole system work together is like how I would answer that moonshot. Yeah.
1: yeah, I love that. And I think that that sort of sets the stage for folks to sort of think about that it's no longer the future work. it's it's work of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can wrestle with the difference between those two things, um, helps sort of give give folks a sort of different impetus for really, really thinking long and hard about what's 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 needed, what's what's necessary, what's the best interest of children. So I appreciate that very much. Sure. So Doug, thank you very much for spending time with us today. I uh, greatly appreciate it. It was very exciting to be able to hear a little bit about the Portfolio School. Um, and I would encourage folks to take a look um, at the website and you know reach out to Doug. Really exciting things happening there in Tribeca. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back and lean in to reimagine education.